Hey, everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio and Razzle Dazzle. It's me, your best buddy, Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 154. That's right. Been a while. Been over a year and a half since the last Canary Cry Radio episode. And for that entire year and a half, Gons, you and I have pondered and fantasized about getting Canary Cry Radio, our original podcast, back up and running. If you are a Canary Cry Radio listener who has been waiting, watching, pondering in the darkness that is the emptiness of the Canary Cry Radio podcast feed, we're happy to shine this light in your world and... While I don't want to set any unreasonable expectations, I do want to let you know that uh, we are hoping to run an experiment over the next couple months to see what it would be like to get Canary Cry Radio, our original podcast, back up and running, at least semi-regularly. We've made promises like this before, Guns. And we have broken those promises, uh, but uh, just want everybody to know that uh, we are trying our very hardest. You know, it's hard doing a podcast three times a week for three hours and find time to do literally anything else. Uh, but we are going to be experimenting with what our lives could look like bringing it back. If you are a Canary Cry radio listener who has not made the switch to Canary Cry News Talk, we really hope you do that. Maybe you checked it out back in the days when it was 29 minutes long, a supplementary piece of content, uh, but it's really grown and evolved. Even if you haven't checked it out since 2021, we recommend you check it out. It's evolved and we've tweaked it and we've uh, really tried to create a, a wonderful product for everybody uh, to keep up with current events uh, with some quality corporate news media analysis and deconstruction. Plus it's live and sometimes accidents happen or you see Gonza's dog. It's, it's or all the time. His, it's just one kid. big disaster on, on air, which is it's charming. It's a uh -huh. charming what, experience that saying. artificial intelligence will never be able to take from us. Yes. Our mission is to confuse the AI of the future <laughs> and it's working. And it's working. <laughs> So we are starting out with this episode. It is unfortunately um, the one that we felt like we had to do. We could not let this period of time pass. Um, it was this is not how we imagined we would bring Canary Cry Radio back, but the, there was no choice. We had to do it. Uh, we're saddened, of course, like the rest of the community at the news of Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, his passing recently. Um, but we are encouraged and um, I don't know, I feel a sense of lightness knowing that he is having all of his questions answered now. I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Michael Heiser has been a friend and a colleague for quite some time. Um, and we we wanted to put something special together for us, but also for you. Many of you listeners found us while looking for content with Dr. Michael Heiser. Yeah. So he's been a big part of Canary Cry, a big part of our lives. And so we're, we're happy to bring 
this uh, tribute episode. We usually think of those beings as angels. The trick is, and here's where it becomes a, a more complex thing that, that rattles people's cages. I think what we can say with security is that it is very possible, it's very possible that, again, according to Jewish traditions, that the sons of God, the watchers, who cohabit with human women in Genesis 6 and in a whole bunch of other Jewish texts, it's possible that they could have had a serpentine appearance. We're not, we're, there's only one text that even suggests that. It's 4Q Amram, and it doesn't describe the Genesis 6 incident. It just says that the watcher who spoke to me looked this way. Uh, it's a weak correlation, but it nevertheless is there, so it's a possibility. And it is also possible that those beings who are condemned to inhabit the abyss and the netherworld, hell as we know it, and their offspring, the giants, the Rephaim, so on and so forth, who also wind up in hell, that they are the Anunnaki. I can't stand here and say that I, I think that correlation is tight. All I can say is that there's some analogous evidence for it, and we'll have to leave it at that. So putting this episode together, we had, uh, had an opportunity to look back at the five distinct appearances of Dr. Michael Heiser on Canary Cry Radio and also one on the Joy Spiracy Theory and several on the Face Like the Sun channel. And the one thing that kept coming up in my mind about Mike is of course he's brilliant he's smart he's intelligent he's well read he's he understands so much and knows so much and has read so much and, and all that was very impressive but the thing that kept hitting me was how nice of a human being he was he really was so nice and he he, he could have been the most arrogant person you know professor and doctor and there's no reason for him to be nice to anybody but he was particularly nice to me, and I know he didn't carry around the title pastor, but that's who he was to me in my personal life and just having conversations with him in private and everything. He was really a pastor pastor role for me, so uh, it wasn't just a, a guy that's brilliant and smart and, and knows about ancient Near East language and all that. He was truly uh, someone who uh, meant a lot in my life, so... Um, I do have my my actual copy of the Unseen Realm that's signed by Mike, and it's uh, it's it's a treasured item. It came as part of the uh, initial packaging, the the first round of promotions, I think. And I have, there's a letter here from Lex Lexham Press uh, telling me how to promote the book and everything. So it, it this is all very very cool, and I'm I'm really happy to have all that. But back in August of 2021, we first heard about 
Mike having pancreatic cancer, adenocarcinoma of the pancreas to be exact. And uh, of course, I, I don't know much about cancer. I don't know about you, Basil. I don't know, you know, what kind of cancers are more challenging than others. But from the sounds of it, it wasn't great. Uh, the the stage that they found it at and everything else. So of course he was in our prayers and, and we were trying to reach out to him all of 2022. And uh, of course he made it to his 60th birthday in February and then the Lord called him home. So, um, you know, it's been uh, quick, but also, uh, you know, I think he had an opportunity to live out his last moments uh, on earth here in this realm with his family and friends and those close to him. And, and um, yeah. so, you know, you, you talked about him uh, being nice and that is true, mm-hmm. but to be clear, mm-hmm. it was not nice. Like uh, obviously not a fake, nice, well, it, it resonated from, with me as a Japanese person. You know, you got to have tough love. You know, it doesn't work sure, when it's yeah. just gentle, you know, soft mm-hmm. love. But well, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the thing was, he was, um, it was genuine. He was yeah. genuinely kind and obviously genuinely brilliant. We had uh, the the sort of blessed opportunity to hang out with him in person a couple of times, go out and eat some meals and do conferences and things like this. And it was really fun. Uh, his, his dry sense of humor, his, uh, his, <laughs> his kindness and understanding. And, and, you know, if you, of course, of course, when you're around Dr. Michael Heiser, you want to like seem smart and you want to talk about <laughs> deep things and you want to talk about you know everything his work sort of brings to the world and uh which of course is all impossible to do in his presence uh in, in any sort of impressive way but he was always uh, so kind and so humorous in person and you know i i got to experience that even more so in the Joy Spiracy Theory episode that we'll uh, listen to a clip later on in the episode. Um, but yeah, it's really easy to sort of imagine him as a wizened, uh, well, I guess some sort of wizard. Uh, <laughs> he was the Gandalf. Gandalf, of yeah. The, yes. the whole analogy there. Uh huh. Yes, lots of fun stuff. Yeah, so it's super easy to see him as sort of an intimidating figure, uh, but it really was. Uh, I I don't know if he he would have ever called himself a mentor to us, but we definitely looked to him as sort of a patriarchal kind of uh, mentor figure. Uh, so that meant a lot to us. And he was, uh, yeah, after his diagnosis, we, we were not the first to know about this. And no. uh, we had reached out a couple of times trying to get him back on the show. I had reached out to try to get him uh, onto Ravel. Uh, he was so kind to Dr. Christopher Ryan Gates, who I do that show with. But I was very impressed, even though I would have loved to talk to him in 2021 or 2022, uh, have him on the show recorded something. I was really impressed that he said no. I mean, he he really made a decision to spend uh, the time that he had left living well, 
Yeah. Living in a really, really genuine way can, you know, take not wasting the time recording a podcast with me, but focusing (laughs) on the things that were important. And uh, that's something, you know, I hope someday if I'm ever faced with a challenge like that, um, that I can take his example and really focus on on living life well and genuinely and authentically and focusing on the people that I love. And yeah, I, so that was really impactful to me. So I'm really happy to have the opportunity, even though we couldn't record with him one last time, it kind of feels like that's kind of what this feels like. It feels, I mean, some of these clips as we are listening to them, putting them together, I kind of forgot that it wasn't him talking, you know, or I'm, it's him talking, but it, it wasn't live, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's kind of refreshed anew as yeah. we go here. Yeah. So we, we uh, we're going to time travel back to January 1st, 2013. And I think he, uh, he had us on his calendar somewhere in December. Because every mm-hmm. episode that he's appeared on either published in January, which means it was likely recorded in December, or it was published in December of that year. So he, he had us in a system somehow. Uh, yeah, but we January would 1st. Close yeah. out the year <laughs> talking yeah. to Heiser. Yeah, Mike was our, yeah, we, he had us as his, um, his final, final thing. January mm-hmm. 1st, 2013, Canary Cry Radio episode 40. Dr. Michael Heiser interview. This was the first time we spoke to him 2013. So Mm -hmm. as we record this, it's a little over 10 years ago. This is him ranting about the divine council, the word Elohim. It's sort of a foundational piece, but I think it, um, for those new to his material, maybe uh, will be blessed by it. And those who are familiar with it, uh, of course, it's a good reminder of some of the, the basic foundations of his works. And, uh, you know, the one thing that Mike always did was do his homework. And I feel that he may have done his homework with Canary Cry Radio because he drops in something that he may have started because we used to say, think outside the cage at the end of every episode. But Mike said something that has become more of a thing with Canary Cry News Talk now. We got a jingle for it and everything. And it's this idea of rattling people's cages or rattling cages. So, yeah, just something to, to notice there. The Divine Council, on one hand, is something really, really simple. I mean, it, and, and what I mean by that is it's, it's very self-evident. If you are not uh, dependent on English translation, I don't mean that you have to be a Hebrew scholar. And even if you're doing things like using an interlinear, uh, if you're really paying attention uh, at the word level to certain passages, there should be things that you, your eye is catching that relate to this subject we call the Divine Council. It, on one level, the Divine Council is as simple as a term used by academics based on passages like Psalm 82 and, and a few others uh, for referring to the heavenly host, you know, God's bureaucracy, God's um, administrators uh, in the heavens with him, uh, basically doing what he commands them to do and and function the way that he uh, desires them to function. So, I mean, that that's familiar turf uh, to uh, really anybody that has, I guess, a, a reasonable acquaintance with Christianity. But we usually think of those beings as angels. 
the, the, the trick is, and here's where it becomes a, a more complex thing that, that rattles people's cages, that in many passages where this heavenly host is described, and they are specifically described as being in a council, Psalm 82.1 is probably the, the textbook example where it just point, point blank. God is standing in the presence of, in Hebrew, uh, his Adat El, which is his council of El or the council of God, or you know, some, some scholars take it as an adjective and just say divine council. So when you start using a, a phrase like that, that sort of phraseology and thinking is found elsewhere outside the Bible for the heavenly administrations of other religions. And we, uh, as Christians, are used to referring to our own heavenly group as God and the host of heaven and everybody else's heavenly group as a pantheon. You know, of, of, of deities that really don't exist, you know, wink, wink, you know, that kind of thing. So, but when you get this cross uh, terminology, that sort of changes the game, or at least in terms of, of how I need to think about what I see in the text. And I'll go back to Psalm 82.1 for, for your listeners. Uh, I'll bring out the key, key text here. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrew, in Psalm 82.1, it says, Elohim... Nitzav Ba'adat El. Elohim, okay, and we usually sort of remember, and most Bible students that, that have gone beyond Bible reading, the English Bible, have probably come across the fact that one of the terms for God, one of the more common ones, is Elohim. So here we have Elohim standing in this divine council. Now we know that that is a single being because grammatically the the verbal there, nitzav, it's a participle, it's singular in terms of the grammar, so no problem. God's up there standing around in this divine council. Well, the second half of the verse says, uh, in the midst of the Elohim, he passes judgment, or he holds judgment. So, the care of Elohim, it's the very same term used in the previous line for a single being, and now we've got in the midst of those beings, it has to be plural. The first one, the first Elohim is holding court. He's, he's holding judgment. He's passing judgment. He's, he's doing something as a judge in this divine courtroom, this divine council sort of scene. So right there, you have the same word, Elohim, that in one sense is singular, a singular entity, and in another sense is plural. Now that freaks people out. Because we are used to looking at the letters G, O, and D when they're capitalized and thinking that that term, G-O-D, only points to one specific set of unique attributes. That's why we capitalize it in English. And when it's not referring to the being, you know, the, the God of Israel, the, the God of the Bible, then we, we lowercase it. Again, just that little publishing technique you know, tells you something about where people are, are coming from because the Hebrew right. doesn't have capitals, okay? It's just Elohim. Hmm. There's, no, there's no convention in the Hebrew text, and the scribes didn't use any convention to distinguish the term. So you have the God of Israel 
and other beings referred to with the very same term, in this case, in the very same verse. And this isn't the only verse in the Old Testament that refers to entities other than the God of Israel as Elohim. In fact, there's, there's four or five other ones. There are the they're the, the, the Shadim, the demons that usually gets translated in Deuteronomy 32.17. They're called Elohim in that verse. The, the spirit of the deceased human Samuel, the prophet, is referred to as an Elohim in 1 Samuel 28.13. Wow. You know, depending on how you take a few passages in Genesis, you can have angels also uh, obliquely referenced as Elohim. Uh, the angel of Yahweh is referred to as Elohim. I mean, you, you've got a bunch of Elohim running around in the Hebrew Bible. Our English translations obscure all that because the, the God of the Bible will usually get capital G-O-D. If it's by name, Yahweh, it'll, it'll get Lord in all caps. That's the, the publishing convention, the typesetting convention for that. If it's not, then you might read small G-O-D-S. You might read something really that really fudges it, like lords or powerful beings or judges or, you know, something that, that really <laughs> deliberately, it just, it just deliberately obscures what's actually in this thing that Christians say that they believe is inspired, the Bible, the original text of the Bible. So, you know, when you, when you point these things out to people, you know, I, I'm just used to, at this point, people looking at me like I got two heads. You know, it doesn't even phase me anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, this just seems like an almost impossible thing to try to, um, you know, talk to conventional Christians about. You know I don't even worry about it anymore. <laughs> I used to think about it, and, well, you know, should you do that? But, you know, I, I, I'm at the point now where I am, I am no longer going to protect people from their Bible. I'll just tell that. Look, I'm not here to protect you from your Bible. You don't need the protection. Okay, it's it's just the Bible. Don't get freaked out by it. You know, just give me give me a few minutes and I'll explain what's going on here. Uh, but you need to start realizing that if you're doing nothing more than reading the surface text of your English Bible, and and again, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm glad people do that. A lot of people don't even read it at right. all. So I'm glad people do that, but if, when when you start to assume that you know, I, hey, I got this stuff down now, you know, I I read my NIV here, you know, ten minutes a day, you know, theology. <laughs> no, no, actually, you don't. You really don't. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that because, uh, you know, I'm I have a PhD and I like to beat on people. You know, I, it, that just isn't it at all. I want to encourage you. Uh, I, I like to show people the things that they don't know because I hope that it, it, it just gets them into it, you know, that it, it creates an appetite for, for discovery, you know, for investigation, because that's what it did, did to me. But I'll be honest, you know, some of the things that I hold as routine now, the first time I saw them, it's like, oh, boy, what do I do with that? You know, so I, I understand that. But I'm glad that I didn't have people protect me from my Bible. And so I, I'm just not doing that anymore. Right. So let's go back to the Elohim thing. Now, let me ask a very simple, straightforward question. Now, if you're the biblical writer or writers, okay, you get a bunch of these guys in the room. You get Isaiah over here and Ezekiel and, you, you know, Moses is attending today. And you get them all in a room and you say, hey, you know what I just found out you guys did? You guys used Elohim for more than one individual, more than one entity 
than, than just the God of Israel. What, what are you guys doing? I think they'd look at you and go, are you a moron? <laughs> don't, don't you understand that if we use the term for more than one thing, okay, for the God of Israel and for other things, give us some credit. We know that the God of Israel is superior to all those other things. So you're the one that has the problem because you're assuming that we are attributing one unique set of attributes to that term, and that is not the way we're using it. If By virtue of the fact that we use it elastically for other beings, that tells you we don't assign one set of attributes to that word. Give us a break, okay? You know, what Elohim really means is it, it is a word that you would use of any being, any entity, that by nature is not embodied and lives, as it were, in the non-human spiritual world. It, it's what I call a place of residence term. So, of course, Samuel is an Elohim because he's dead, all right? He's, he's disembodied. <laughs> he lives over there. You know, he passed over. Look, these are the terms we still use today. He passed over. He lives in the spiritual world now. He's in heaven. Okay, he's in this other place that humans don't inhabit. And because he's over there now, he's an Elohim. He's one of them. He's, he's at the same address. Okay, he's in that realm. That's all the term means. So I like to say it this way. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is an Elohim. But no other Elohim is Yahweh. Right. With that realm, within that realm, there's power, hierarchy, and differentiation in terms of attributes. But that those different that differentiation is not captured or conveyed through the use of the term Elohim. It has nothing to do with specific attributes. But again, our English translations just totally obscure that. So, you, you know, you're right. I'll, I'll go into a church and I try, you know, this has only happened once or twice. I, I don't get invited to speak on this stuff. <laughs> but I go in there and just lay it out. And, and, and at first, like I said, I'm just used to people looking at me like I got two heads and say, oh, you'll get over that. Just, I don't have two heads. I know it looks that way. I just hold it on. You know, and, and then, you know, we'll go through it. And afterwards, it's like, oh, well, okay. That wasn't so hard. Right. You know, it, 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 it's not. It, it's just your Bible. Right. But, you know, we, we need to really, we tend to think that interpreting the Bible in context means I interpret it like my pastor preaches it. Or I interpret it the way Protestants do, or the way you know Catholics do, or the way evangelicals do. You know, I, I hate to break it to you, but all of those contexts are foreign. They are alien to the Bible. There's only there's only one biblical context, and that's the context of the writers that God, in His sovereignty and providence, picked to write the thing. Okay, it's their context. That is the biblical context, not something 25 or 3,000 years later. So if you're really going to learn to think like biblical writers, you have a lot of work to do. You, know, you, you, have, to, you have to think about their worldview. You've got to get, get, you know, get, wrap your mind around that. 
you know, you got to understand the, the the types of literature they they employed in their writings and why they would pick this one and not that one. You know, you, you do have a language gap. It's it's Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It's not English. You know that they were working in. You have a religious background. You've got cultural backgrounds. All of this stuff, trying to recapture the the the, the intellectual you know, the world, the, the world of the mind that the biblical writer had, when, when you're able to tap into that, that informs the Bible because that's its own context. And frankly, that's exciting. Okay. I, again, I, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't born with a PhD. And when I became a Christian, I didn't get one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it just, I, I started like everybody else. To, and I'm, I'll admit, I'm a little geeky. Okay, I, it it became an obsession, and but I like to think of it as a calling too. You know, it, it wasn't. Right. You know, I I tried to give up a number of times because it was hard. I I went through graduate school for fifteen years working full time. Trust me, I wanted to quit a lot. Okay, but I I didn't. You know, because I was convinced that this is why I'm alive and I shouldn't quit. So I get. It. But what I, what, I, what I want people to do is I want them to have some tenacity. I want, to, I want them to want to discover things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it never gets old. You know, there's always something that, that I, you know, I'll read an article and some guy will be discussing some text like, well, I never saw that before. I've got I to go down that route trail. I've got I've to apply that to these 10 or 15 other things and just see if that really works. Right. You just see that stuff all the time. But the, the reason you see it is because you're doing it. You're looking. Right. And that's I want to get, I want people to get out of the stuff that I, that I do. I mean, you, you might hate me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough love. But that's okay. You know, if, if it stimulates you somewhere down the road to really get into your Bible, then hey, that's all I'm asking. I'm so struck by uh, his comments there at the end that this is why he's alive. I mean, knowing, knowing your purpose, embracing that purpose and really nailing it. I mean, he just nailed it. Now, of course, the unseen realm concepts, the divine council, these things are, you know, they're much more widely known now because of Mike. But back in 2013, you know, this that's why he was on our podcast, because it was new information to a lot of people. This this worldview that extended past sort of the Sunday morning uh, spiritual worldview um, and fleshed it out into a, you know, something more. I don't know, realistic, comprehensive, cohesive, and cohesive. it has a lot of explanatory power in terms yeah. of the state of the world, the state of creation, uh, our own identities. I mean, the whole package. So, yeah. And I'm really struck by his comments at the end about this, you know, being being the reason he's here, uh, because it was even just recently on Canary Cry News Talk, guns where uh, I kind of reflected those ideas. There was just a moment recently where I'm like, huh, you know what? Out of all the things I could be doing right now, 
doing what we're doing, Gans, feels like the most important way we could be spending our time and our energy. So it kind of got me a little choked up to hear that he felt the same way about his work. Uh, And I think that's a very valuable, very valuable lesson for everybody. Yeah. And the level of commitment, too. And and not that we are the most committed, Basil. Clearly, that we have commitment issues when it comes to publishing (laughs) podcasts on time. However... It's those moments where you don't feel like doing it or there's obstacles to completing it. And mm-hmm. those are the times when, yeah, you feel like you want to quit. You know, it's like, yeah. ah, is this really that important to publish? But, you know, it, it's not about that. It's, it's something bigger. And it's about uh, your purpose. understanding yeah. that perspective uh, is powerful. And hearing Mike talk about it 10, over 10 years ago is, uh, is very touching. Let's Speaking move of which. On. Yeah. Let's yeah, move we, on here we, to December 20th of 2014. And this is uh, Canary Cry Radio episode 81, The Portent, with Dr. Michael Heiser. And uh, Basil, you went missing on this one. I think you got trapped in some kind of time whirlwind or something. Yeah. And uh, I forget what the reason was. But I got to interview him solo. I start off here by asking about the character, Brian Scott, who is part of his fictional work, The Facade, and the uh, the one after The Portent. And uh, Mike gets a little bit personal about you know, where the character comes from. One of the first questions I had was about the main character of Dr. Brian Scott. And obviously this character, uh, I believe you have mentioned that, you know, represents you. Uh, But I was curious to find out how much of the backstory surrounding Brian are actual real life experiences. And, you know, we don't have to get into super specifics, but, you know, some of the general questions about his, his past with his family uh, but more loosely, his academic history, you know, being marginalized uh, for mm-hmm. presenting some less than orthodox views uh, to the establishment. But uh, how much of the, the character of Dr. Brian Scott reflects your own personal life and history? Okay. Well, the the main character is broadly and basically me. Uh, and I I tell people the reason I did that when I wrote The Facade, which I did during what should have been the first year of my dissertation, uh, I had never done fiction before. I'd done a lot of academic writing, obviously. But I needed to know at least one person in the novel. <laughs> so I, I said, well, I've you know, I got to put myself in there. And, and the, the subject matter was very natural because, you know, we were, I knew we were going to be talking about ancient texts. And, I, of course, I had a, a strong, you know, academic interest in ufology and all sorts of alternative history. So it was kind of a natural thing. I, I would say emotionally... Uh, he is me during my college years, you know, that sort of thing, early to mid-20s. Um, again, kind of, you know, without going into, into gory details of my own background, um, you know, I, I was never in the in the popular circle. I mean, I was an athlete. I played lots of sports, but just never, you know, a part of the clique, you know. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of the the... I hate to call them normal, but normal uh, experiences that a, a high schooler would would have. And I, I think that now I look back on it and think it's a good thing. I also became a believer in high school, and, and I, I grew up in a really, <clears throat> really antagonistic situation, you know, toward my faith. Uh, I was the only person in my family who was a believer. And my, my parents, who are actually believers now, you know, it took 20-some years uh, for them to, you know, embrace the Lord. 
But uh, they admitted to me afterwards that they used to do things to me deliberately just to see what I would do. Wow. Um, as as a Christian, uh, and it was it wasn't what I would call constant, but it was it was a, a regular sort of uh, under the surface kind of confrontation that that sort of environment. So some of these things go into into you know Brian's own background. Um, I'll give you one one example. I I just you know I've. I know this is going to shock people. Uh, I, I I was not a very attractive young young person. Oh. <laughs> I was overweight, you know, and all, all these things, you know. So I had basically had no experience, you know, with the opposite sex. And I walked into my my uh, an argument that my parents were having one day about whether I was gay because <laughs> I because I didn't go out and carouse and you know. Wow! You know, do, the, do the whole you know thing with, in the back seat of the car with the girls, and that was what they were used to, and that was what they were. I had an older brother, and that was basically his whole life. <laughs> you know, it it it, it it was really an awkward situation again uh, because of of my faith. It, it it was also again just this sort of underlying confrontational kind of thing. But I always tried to do the right thing and, and obey them. I mean, they wouldn't let me take my Bible to school. I wasn't allowed to go to church a lot. Uh, just stuff like that. And, and you know, you, you just try to do the right thing. And eventually, you know, they, they did come to the Lord. But a lot of that is mixed up, you know, into into Brian, you know, and, and who he is and his his awkwardness and basically social ineptitude my wife would tell tell you that that's still a big part of me <laughs> um, well, I, she I got over that. it yeah i love that about the character it's it's a very relatable part of it yeah right he, he's what, what i want to do in the novel is i want to have normal characters and i, and I don't want it to be a comic book you know the, the, you're, you're not going to have like these they're not going to get out of jams by time traveling you know they're not going <laughs> to all these cliche things in science fiction, you know, the some you know supernatural agent like with direct intervention at just the right time, you know that kind of thing. I mean, there, there's obviously a supernatural thread that that is woven through the whole thing, because whether we like to believe it or not, or whether we we feel we can, we we've, we've experienced it or not, that is life. That is life for the Christian. Right. There is a supernatural thread. Uh, a lot of times we just lack perspective uh, as far as providence. Providence is a major theme in the facade, and it's also a major theme in, in the portent because mm -hmm. it's a major theme in my own life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, again, these, these things filter down into uh, the main character. Now, there, there are, my parents uh, were not killed. <laughs> They, I mean, they, they, they give it to me all the time. You know, my, my mom just reread the facade and reread the portent. And it's like, well, we're still dead. You know, <laughs> and I, you know, my thing is, well, you know, keep it up and I'll bring you back and kill you again. You know, just <laughs> so, I mean, they they have not, you know, been, I actually had people ask me who knew me, um, you know, whether something had happened to my parents, you know, after the facade came out, it's like, no, 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 no. nothing like that. But, Again, there are smaller things that that factor into it. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away here. But in in the portent, sure. there are two things specifically that really, you know, again drift over into the paranormal, supernatural sort of area that that are personal uh, to me. Uh, there, there's going to come a point where Brian is is taken to a, a particular location. 
and he's going to reference a recurring dream uh, that you know is, is something that you know I've I've experienced. There, there's another another um, incident where uh, two of the other characters are re relating how they met and found a third character, and it involves a. Um, uh, I guess the best way to say it is a voice from the ether mm. and, and sort of a, a um, I, I make it, I make it a kind of an angelic appearance, but, but not, not an angel. It's someone who is dead uh, that is seen and has a message. Mm. Again, that, that is directly derivative actually to something that happened to my parents. So there, there are things like that in the book. Uh, when I say on the cover, everything, you know, every document, every text, all the stuff's real in the book. It, it even gets down to stuff like that. Right. Um, obviously, without you know the murders and the and the UFOs and all that kind of stuff, but um, all that sort of stuff is derived from and built off of uh, events from you know, people's lives that I know. Or myself. You know, one thing that's so impressive about Mike is, uh, you know, he's this very academic, very scholarly, very, uh, uh, I don't know, this is systematic mm-hmm. uh, individual. And then he also wrote fictional works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, very creative. Really you know, good fiction. To feel like, I don't, it, to come out, uh, you know, to be sort of professionally an academic and a scholar uh, is one thing, but then to also just completely nail it on some fictional writing to write a novel and multiple novels like he did uh, is just so cool. I mean, such a such a dynamic uh, individual and such a dynamic set of works to apply his skills to. Yeah, um, I, it's again inspiring. Yeah, I've I've often dreamt about writing some fiction guns. <laughs> I think um, both of us have pondered the idea. It sounds yeah. like a great idea, but it's uh, not so easy in practice, I hear. <laughs> so moving on, the next clip, this was a big one for us in 2015. This was the next year, December, of course, December 21st. We came out with the Canary Cry Radio episode 100. Dun, 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 dun. And this was a big deal for us. We were very excited. We were so young, so naive. Um, but we were actually shooting for a world record podcast. And uh, episode 100, we had a huge collection of guests come on and record for this podcast. We did not, uh, you know, take clips and try to piece them together. We actually did individual uh, little interviews with, uh, do you remember how many guests were on that? It was something like 30, 40, 40, something like that. I think it was just shy of 40. Maybe the episode was like eight hours long, which now doesn't seem as long as it did then, considering we do, you know, eight hours of podcasting every week. But to have an eight hour long podcast felt like we were conquering the world. <laughs> uh, but looking back, it's what I really love about that episode is um, 
having the chance to reconnect with a lot of the guests that we had had over the 100 episodes. This was called CCR 100, Basil and Gonza's Excellent Adventure. And speaking of fiction, we had kind of <laughs> formatted the episode as this fictional adventure where I, uh, you know, had built a, an interdimensional travel machine in my garage and uh, you and I had traveled the, the multiverse to speak to all of these guests. Look, we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Michael Heiser was kind enough to appear on this episode. And not just appear, but appear as our closer. Yes, exactly. He closed out the whole episode. And this was after uh, his, of course, very well-known work, The Unseen Realm. And there are a number of people in my personal life who did not know that, uh, th that I did this podcast. And they found us, or they found, yeah, Canary Cry Radio, through searching for Dr. Michael Heiser content and that is what gave me away that's when they found out that i was doing these <laughs> podcasts it's just a weird just a weird part of it yeah so anyways let's should we jump right in yeah uh, uh, to Gon basil and gonza's excellent adventure let's, let's hear it and here he is in number 100 you know you're pretty consistent there dr mike yeah we, we've got the at least you know round numbers anyway or yeah. roughly yeah, I mean that's more than I can. Should have been so. should have been like episode one twenty, you know, to make it really consistent. Kind of oh, like Moses, man. you know, it just <laughs> all these, all these smart people trying to get some consistency in my life here. <laughs> Which is the last thing that we have on this on this show, yeah, by the way, is consistency. Uh, but yeah, just we're thankful that you're on. Uh, you know, just to jump on for the hundredth episode here and nineteen episodes ago. What's been going on since? 19 episodes uh <laughs> well there's the there's the book launch of course so unseen realm has you know been out and about and circulating and winning hearts and minds and you know making enemies and all that kind of stuff so and congratulations by the way on the 100 that's a that's a significant milestone Oh, well, thank you very much, and congratulations on the book launch. Um, how's the response been so far? Oh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, the, the reviews on Amazon, you know, you know two, between two and three months, almost 100 reviews already. I think we're at 98 or the upper 90s or something like that. Um, and overwhelmingly positive. And, and, you know, a lot of the reviews, I would encourage people to go actually look at the reviews because some of them are really thoughtful. Uh, you can tell people read carefully and really thought about what they were reading. Right. And it's not all, you know, a high five kind of thing. It, sometimes it's, and these are the ones I like that, boy, this was freaking me out, but I couldn't put it down. And, and I, I really can't, like attack this thing so i guess i like it <laughs> <laughs> you've you've, uh, you've beaten them down to submission and yeah you give yeah. them no choice <laughs> but uh, on the you know on the non amazon side i mean i i just had the uh the annual academic meetings uh, this year it was in atlanta and i had i had a lot of people um come up to me and and you know say nice things about the book i've had there were a few professors and, you know, some well-known seminaries that said, I've either already required this or I'm going to require it. And, 
wow. you know, that sort of thing. So it was, yeah, I mean, it, it's, people are starting to pay attention to it. You know, it's only a few months old and that, that means the haters will come out eventually, which, which we're expecting. We, we sort of thought they'd appear already, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> they haven't, but they will, they will of course make an entrance and, you know, that'll, that'll be what it is. Well, I've seen the, uh, the YouTube video of, uh, of a gentleman, I'm not going to mention his handle or anything like that because I've been mentioned on his channel as well as promoting Gnosticism. So, uh, you know, <laughs> which is the funniest thing, you know, because I know what <laughs> you said. Gnostic. Of, yeah. You know, you've done a whole lecture series on Gnosticism. And uh, so I thought it was ironic that he would <laughs> accuse you of, well, of all people. That, that's a nice word. I'd refer to it as idiotic, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, well, it is. It's like, I don't this isn't what I teach. So therefore I'm going to stick a label on it that, that makes people scared. You right, know, that, right. that's pretty much what that is. Right. So you, you can't know much about Gnosticism and think that I'm a Gnostic. You actually can't know much about me. Right. Well, you know, that's great. What else have you been working on? I mean, is there future projects? I and mean, obviously this book is, uh, it seems like it's put you into uh, another realm of public light. Um, well, what kind of things do you have in mind for the future? Yeah, that's, that's again, a nice way of putting it. Um, you know, I, I feel singularly unproductive in the last two or three months and I knew that would happen, but I'm still kind of struggling with it. It seems all I do is, you know, no offense here, but all I do is do interviews. <laughs> you know, I, we have that in common. Read this marketing copy. Is it okay? Can you write a post for our blog? You know, uh, just, I mean, I haven't worked on anything for about three months, which is right. to me is just horrific <laughs> and, and just does not feel good. But, you know, you, you have to do it. Fortunately, I'll, I'll feel, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of fool myself into, into, uh, thinking i was productive yeah uh, because you i love coming on our show it's yeah like your favorite I mean, thing to do well I, I like see the problem is is i like doing shows mm -hmm. but it's just you know when you do a hundred of them it's like man i really ought to be doing something else you know like i really ought to be being productive it just feels bad because uh, i'm i'm one of these people that I function well when I believe I'm being productive. Right. And when I'm not, it, it just bothers me. But I actually have three other books coming out, and hopefully they will see the light of day. This was so fun. I mean, I kind of forget, I kind of for, forget exactly how kind of funny our friendship was with him. It was filled with cute little jabs at one another. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Mike Kaiser dropping how unproductive he feels doing a hundred episodes of podcasts <laughs> on the 100th episode of our podcast. And, uh, and then proceeds to tell us how he has three more books coming out, which, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, we, it's his way of sort of, uh, dominating the room, you know, <laughs> it's oh, it kind fun. of like, oh, okay, you got so three fun. more coming out. I just yeah. wrote one that's not going to get published. So, um, I'll just, uh, you know, go, go back into my basement. By the way, listener, you know, if you came to the, this episode to get a comprehensive review of all of his 
deepest works. Um, this is not necessarily the episode. I'm realizing a lot <laughs> of what we're putting together uh, is really for you and I, Gons, <laughs> to remember how much fun uh, he was and how much fun we had together. Um, so it's not necessarily a scholarly collection of uh, all of his most important, uh, you know, academic academia uh, but it feels really fun to revisit um our sort of friendship and relationship with mike yeah and it took a whole new flavor when he really leaned into this gandalf middle earth analogy and i don't know i don't think he started it on our show he could have i, I know he, that it was early in his analogy there uh, but it was canary cry radio episode 101 just right after 100 Middle Earth yep. with Dr. Michael Heiser. It was published on January 20th of 2016. And uh, there's a lot of joking around on this one, but it's again, it's a, as you just said, it's not really your deepest theological, uh, you know, rantings of Dr. Michael Heiser. It's more of, um, it's just, I guess his personality. Remem remembering him as a great guy. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Okay. He's the man, the myth, and the legend, and we're going to cover all three in today's discussion. Brother Mike, how you doing, buddy? Very good. Thanks for having me back on. That's Dr. Mike to you, Gons. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't you forget it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here you are. You're part of the three-peat club now. Oh, boy. You're, you're in the, the three-episode category in our guests. Yeah, so the upper echelon. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> we also just had you on our episode 100, so that was fun. You helped us uh, take over the world in respect to that. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I haven't seen any benefit from that yet. but <laughs> Oh, well, you know, just wait. The check's in the mail. Right, right. <laughs> I hope Jim Mars is listening because, after all, I am a government disinformation agent. That's um, right. I, Good I old actually, Jimmy Mars. Yep, it was in. Uh, I believe it was in the book "Our Occulted History" yeah. by Jim Mars, where he uh, brought you up. It was interesting. Right. I, wow! I almost jumped out of my seat. I was like, "No way!" He did not just do that. In he, black he gave and white. he gave incorrect information that could have been resolved with a phone call. So so much for his research skills. Yeah. Wow. Well, he doesn't really source a lot of his information either. So uh, no, he it's, doesn't. It's, it's good. Uh, you know, it's it's sensational. Uh, writing, but you know, I, I I'm not going to put too much stock in what Jim Mars says over uh, Doctor Mike Heiser. But uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll take it. I mean, I you know, it's one of my one of my life goals was being a government disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're kind of just uh, floating on our Illuminati shill members yeah, they're, right they're, now. <laughs> so something for me to work forward to, I guess. Yeah, yeah. almost daily, literally. Uh, from people on the YouTube channel and things like that. Why don't you use the KJV? Why aren't you using the only inspired English Bible, the KJV? Oh, and <laughs> I wanted to get your response to that because I, I, I pretty much echo what uh, what you have stated in, in some of your blogs and stuff like that, where, you know, when people ask me what's the best version, I tell them, you know, and I tell them, and I get this from you, the version that you're going to read faithfully, that's the one that's yeah. going to be the most important. But uh, maybe, can you give us a couple specific reasons why, you know, I mean, yes, you, you have stated the KJV is a good translation, but every translation has its problems and, and so on. So what's kind of your response to, to some of that? And they do, because translation is a is a very human process that is dependent on 
the manuscript data at your disposal at any given point. Right. You know, there, there are no perfect translations. There are a lot of good ones. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. Now, in, in, in my case, you know, I'm, I'm actually sympathetic to the King James because it was the one I was sort of raised on as a, as a new Christian, you know, when I became a, a Christian as a teenager, um, which is part of the reason why in my job that I felt I, I owed the KJV something. And so I'm, I'm the guy here at Logos who created the KJV reverse interlinear. And without getting into to what that is, you have to hand, you know, too much and too much detail. You, but here, here's how it's done. You have to hand link every word of the translation, in this case, the KJV, to the Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic segment or word from which the translation derived. Now, I devoted two hours a day to that for a solid year. I am probably the only person on the planet who has done something like that. I have literally looked at every word of the King James and looked at every word and particle in the original languages from which the King James was created and thought about it. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't do that because Mike is just so super smart and all that. I did it because I was paid to do it. Cause you're Gandalf and we, and we needed it. And, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to do one of these at work, I want it to be the King James because I just felt like I owed it something. And so, yeah, it took me a year to do that. And I can tell you, with complete confidence and with and speak with the voice of authority here, the King James is a good translation. I will never trust it in Job again, <laughs> okay, because Job is just so riddled with difficult words that occur only once or twice, and there's no context for a lot of these things. And the King James translators didn't have things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. They, they right. didn't have access to cognate languages that could help them come up with a good translation. It, it's a, King James was a committee translation. There, there's, there are places where one translator clearly understands a principle of Hebrew grammar. And, and for those who, who doubt me, I'll give you one. In, in Hebrew and in Aramaic, more so in Aramaic than Hebrew, but in both languages, they will at times use the demonstrative pronoun, which is typically translated this or that. They will actually use it as the copula, the linking verb, to be, is, or are. Okay, it's just a phenomenon of grammar across, you know, Semitic languages. So there are places, clearly, where the King James, the guy who was working on XYZ book, understood that and got it right. There are other places where the guy was totally lost, mm. just did not get it. And so, again, this is just what happens in translation. The King James is a good translation. It is not a perfect translation because there aren't any of these. And then you have the textual issue. I mean, if you, if you want a textual example, Deuteronomy 32.8. Yeah. Okay, the reading sons of Israel, King James, makes no sense, you know, to have the most high dividing up the nations according to the number of the sons of Israel. Of course, the nations are divided back at Babel in Genesis 10. Guess what? Israel doesn't exist. Mm. It's not listed in Genesis 10 of the nations that result from that division. The translation makes no sense at all. And, and, and it's because the translators are using the Masoretic text. Yeah. 
And that's what the Masoretic text has. That's not what the Dead Sea Scrolls have. The Dead Sea Scrolls have sons of God. Okay, you know, so you, you, you run into these situations where, you know, the, the King James translation team did a wonderful job. There's a reason it has endured, you know, so long and, and still endures because it's a good translation. But, you know, it, 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 there's no mystical thing about it. And you can demonstrate where it has weaknesses or makes mistakes. The word Easter in a translation, really? <laughs> you know, it, it, again, you, you, could, you could just go on and on with these things, and I and I'm not picking on the King James because, again, I devoted a year of my life to producing this product so that people could use it, so that the, so that they could you know study their Bible, the original languages through the King James. If I didn't like the King James, I wouldn't have wasted the time. I would have volunteered for another one. Right. You know, if you're going to pay me to do this, give me the NASB or something. You know, no, I wanted to do the King James. Right. Uh, one last note, you know, the King James guys only have the Masoretic text and, and the King James only people, you know, they don't realize it's a good case of not knowing what they don't know, but they'll get into all these battles about the, the Byzantine majority text and the Alexandrian text. Oh, that's the evil satanic text <laughs> came from Egypt, you know, like Athanasius. Okay. And Augustine, you know, <laughs> It's just so absurd. Well, guess what? Those terms and those text families pertain to New Testament only. Right. In other words, what you're fighting about doesn't even apply to three quarters of your Bible. Right. Okay. It, it just, it's not even on the radar. The Masoretic text was something produced around 100 AD. We know that, again, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And guess what? Even when it was produced, there are people who liked the Masoretic tradition, but they liked Masoretic texts that, you know, went a different direction prior to, you know, 100 AD. And they kept using the version of the Masoretic text that they liked. And you say, version of the Masoretic, there's only one Masoretic text. No, there isn't. There's a guy named Optowitzer who produced a multi-volume work in German collecting variants within the Masoretic text tradition. <laughs> there is no one Masoretic text. Okay, so whatever the King James guys used, they could have, you know, been using another Masoretic text, but they didn't. Right. Because this is what they have. Again, the, the whole argument is just dead on arrival. If you are familiar with the data. It, it, it just dies right there. But, but again, all these things that I've talked about, someone has married their faith to a translation, which is tragic on one level. I mean, it, and nothing you say is going to disabuse them of this. Right. And, you know, it, but they're, they're just, they're low hanging fruit for all sorts of things that are going to come their way. And it's going to, there's going to be something in their translation. that doesn't work with reality. Then they're going to jump ship. They're going to leave the faith. They're going to do all you know, look. It's just, let's, let's just get real. Okay. <laughs> it's just read your Bible, study your Bible. If you like the King James, by all means, use it, but do not assign inspiration to a translation. Amen. Boom. Hashtag Gandalfing real hard. I love this clip because, again, such a practical fella. 
It's it would be so easy for him to be sort of Ivy Tower-ish and and uh, you know claim to have the the ultimate in in the economy of belief that can be Christianity, where you know holding the exact same belief as someone with authority is seen as uh, as currency. He was just so down to earth. I mean, and and in tune with what it's like to be a human being, uh, <laughs> you know, struggling with what is and isn't theologically correct, and the the hills that people die on. So he's just so practical and gracious in that way. You know. Yeah, he was the ultimate bubble burster for people that yes. like the really sensational stuff. Which I always appreciated because he was gentle about it. He was not inflammatory or anything else. Yeah. Uh, but it was just the way he went about it in, in a very th- systematic way that he would explain things. And I think that influence is still very strong with us. Yeah, you know? 100%. Because we are often the bubble bursters nowadays. Because, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, and that's part of uh, the analysis and deconstruction is, you know, it's who does it serve? for us to be worked up about any particular subject. Well, often it doesn't serve us. Often it serves, you know, somebody in power who's Mm -hmm. wanting to pull our puppet strings. And uh, Mike's attitude towards popping bubbles, uh, professional bubble popper, uh, (laughs) I I, I think in a way, Really saved us, Gons. There's a lot of opportunities we have to kind of go over the edge on some things, but influences like Mike's and others, but Mike's in particular, uh, I'm really grateful for. Yeah, 100%. Both personally and sort of in our careers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this next one, I was really happy to bring to this show because uh, in 2015, I started a podcast called The Joyspiracy Theory, which... Don't get on me, people. I'm looking for a way to bring that back to. <laughs> uh, but the Joy Spiracy theory was, uh, you know, you had the face like the Sun Channel, and you kind of had your uh, your your personal projects. And I figured, well, I have some time, and Gons is doing his personal projects. I might as well start a podcast called the Joy Spiracy theory, which. I think looking back, really was highly influenced by Doctor Mike too, because it was all about. The practicality of being a human being, living a human being's life, uh, struggling with the questions and struggling with the answers. And how do we live our lives? And uh, what is it like being someone in the world who simultaneously searches for the truth and, you know, is, is grounded in scripture and is trying to live a life, a good life uh, that is in line with what we're called to do, but also dealing with the ugliness of life, the unfortunate situations. Uh, You know, it's one thing to search for answers in regards to what's really going on around here. It's another thing to search for those answers and also have to deal with tragedy, life tragedy, not just acute tragedy in life, but also chronic tragedy in life and how can we as humans sort of stay grounded um and and that was really what i was hoping to accomplish with the joyspiracy theory and dr mike a little background here 
he did not want to do this podcast. <laughs> he, I mean, he was, <laughs> he, he wanted to, I mean, I don't know. He, he gave me some guff about it, uh-huh. um, but it was fun guff. It was fun Mike guff. Uh, and of course he agreed to do it. And of course he came on and we had a lot of fun, but I, I kind of just liked this clip. You know, it's, it's not any, anything earth shaking, earth shattering, but in a, in an episode where we exploring, where we're, we are exploring not just Mike's legacy and work, but also just who he was at a, as a guy. <laughs> yeah. um, and in this clip, we kind of talk about comedy. We talk about his favorite movie. Um, and I try to get him to answer my sports knowledge. Now, Gons, this is an embarrassing one because at the time, I was running this all myself, doing all the tech myself, and I had made a huge whoopsie doodle with recording this podcast and this episode, which really sent me into a shame spiral uh, (laughs) because you'll hear the, the quality, the sound quality of this episode is horrendous. And, uh, Mike sounds good. You sound like you're sitting on a toilet. Yeah. I had the wrong microphone recording on my computer it's it's mm-hmm. just annoying i had some settings wrong so my voice sounds absolutely horrendous thankfully mike's sounds okay but please forgive me this was i it was almost a earth-shattering tragedy when i heard the quality of my voice and you know i came to the conclusion you know what it's okay it's just the podcast it's not the end of the world. And now here we are putting a clip show together, having to revisit the pain. <laughs> Find so, the joy in it, Basil. That's yeah. that's what I think the message is here. The it's, lesson uh, here, folks, is uh, check your, your microphone settings before you record a <laughs> podcast. So anyways, yeah. apologies for the quality. Let's listen to the clip. Okay. So that, ligaments twice in my ankle, though. What, Same ankle. Skiing accident? Football, both uh, times. There you go. I don't know why I thought skiing accident was such a hilarious retort, but um, okay, football. You're a fo- you're a sporty man. Yeah, I, I actually rhythmic gymnastics would have been funnier. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I found this baseball that I have, and it's signed by somebody. And maybe you can shed some light on it. It's hard to see, but it looks like J Blue or. Something, I can't. I think it's J Blue. Does that ring any bells? No. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> um, somebody wants to know what. Well, there's two people who want to know what the last movie you saw that you liked, and one person specifically said comedy movie. All right. Do, move, do, move. do you like movies? I, I do, but I'm actually pretty picky. I I. I I pretty much know what I'm going to like. Okay, give me an example. Um, I actually, I was, I went to a conference, did an Unseen Realm event in Delaware last weekend on the plane. Something I've never done. I, I actually took a, a video player along and I watched the Sci-Fi Channel's version of Childhood's End, which was End. was quite good. Um, what is that? I feel like it's something I should Child, know about. It is something you should watch. Um, Childhood's End is an Arthur C. Clarke novel mm-hmm. um, that finally got made into a film uh, in 2015. I didn't. I didn't get to watch it while it was, you know, on the channel. But I, I ordered the DVD. 
<clears throat> it, it's important. I, uh, <sighs> is this a is this just a sci fi thriller or is this? It sounds kind of like this is an alien though. visitation movie. Ooh, ooh. And I and I will pref I will say this. I I can't say too much about it because it. <sighs> It would be easy to spoil some things in it, but I'll say this. I have a friend who's a – he doesn't work in Washington, D.C. now anymore, but back in the 90s, uh, he did. Uh-huh. And he's he's sort of my, my Washington, D.C. UFO insider guy. Ooh, I like that. And, and he said, if you really want to know what's going on, read Childhood's End. Really? Right. Whoa. And, and I did when he when he recommended that. And and now th- th- I thought that the movie version was quite good. Okay. Well, you don't hear that a lot, so that's good. Yeah, I it's I recommend it. Okay. All right. There you go. Childhoods and it was it was by the sci-fi or it's, yeah, so it was on sci-fi channel. channel. Okay. It's 4 hours long on DVD. Holy so it, smokes. It, it went over 3 nights, you know. So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you could fit about a an hour. Does does the does the funny X-Files episode count as a comedy? The I think it was the third or fourth episode. It counts for me. I don't know what that is. It's, that's the la- It's the one with the lizard guy. Okay. Did, didn't you watch the X-Files? You know, I I was a I was a sporadic X-Files person. I didn't watch it when I was younger when it was, you know, on TV. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've caught episodes here and there, mostly just like the really, really screwed up ones that people are like, Oh, this is so screwed up. Watch this. And they just put it on and it is screwed up and I don't like it. Yeah. It just, you know, the, the mythology ones, I mean, there, there are good standalone episodes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, some that I really, really like I, examples would be of standalone episodes. The ones that sort of poke fun at the show. I love. Yeah. And they did one of those in this, you know, mini mini season of six episodes that I, I thought was good. That's the most recent one, you mean? Yeah, that's yeah. the most recent comedic thing that I've seen. So okay, so I don't that- really, I can't remember. I don't, I don't know if I could, if I could come up with a comedy movie that I've seen in the last twenty years. I mean, I just don't like comedies. Yeah, because they're because <clears throat> you are joyless and don't like to laugh. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just messed up with you. No, it, it, it's basically all the humor is just crude. Right, right. Oh, yeah, especially nowadays. That's You know, and, and, I, and I think that that's unimaginative. Uh-huh. Okay. So, it's, and, and not clever when it really comes down to it. So. Right, right. Okay. Hey, that's, a, that's not a bad answer. You got, a, you got an answer for everything there. All right. Have you ever seen Childhood's End, Gons? Yes. They what did a think? whole remake, and uh, yeah, it was um, I don't know, guy in a big devil suit at the end. It's not really. I mean, I get it. It's I well, understand. It's Mike Heiser's favorite movie, so you were forced to like it now. <laughs> but it's kind revisit. of fun. Kind of fun hearing him talk about his, uh, you know, his secret UFO Washington D.C. contact. Yeah, I actually know. believe I made a video about the show at some point on the Face Like the Sun channel, so it's 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 out there somewhere. So you're, but a uh, yeah, well, I, I, we played that clip from TJT because it was chronologically accurate. Because mm-hmm. after Mike's fourth appearance, uh, it was April fifth, twenty sixteen, when he appeared on the Joy Spiracy Theory with you. 
it was actually the last time he would be interviewed until December of 2018. And that was actually the last time Mike was on the show. Uh, Canary Cry Radio 138 Angels with Dr. Michael Heiser. And I think this uh, clip we're about to hear, it really does put a bow on everything. It was sort of the, the takeaway message for each believer when it comes to looking at the divine council. What's the point? What is really the, the meaning of understanding all these details and underlying narratives in the Bible? So I thought it was a good clip to uh, land the episode on. The more you know about you know the, the supernatural world, you'll be able to see not only to not only be able to trace threads that involve the supernatural world through scripture, but you'll begin to see that world as a template for how God thinks about us, our own identity and our own mission and our own destiny. So that covers a lot of ground just in a couple sentences. And then Unseen Realm sort of unpacks that from Genesis to Revelation. And this book is more or less of a drill down, um, you know, drill down into one specific topic that is touched on in unseen realm but that's why it's important you know that it's not a coincidence it's not an accident uh, it's not an oversight that the way angels and other members of the heavenly hosts are talked about that same vocabulary and the same task the same duties the same status uh, even a higher status is talk in the new testament about human believers so that, mm. Again, that's not accidental. I, just, I feel like it has, it addresses the core issue of all the political and, and all, yep. all that kind of stuff that's going on now. And it really yep. helps sort of understand, or helps me understand anyway, uh, what, it, what the bigger picture is. Again, what the, what the greater plan is here and what the, the proper position to take on certain issues. Even the, you know, the prodigal son story being a greater analogy to the whole context of what's going on in the Bible and what, what the whole cosmic plan is, if you will, of God, it, to me, it's, it's, it's locked in all of the large pieces contextually that I, that I really think it'll help people, you know, just deal with all the, the stuff in their face, you know, just yeah, all, it's the, crazy. all the societal, the societal problems, the geopolitical problems, these are ultimately spiritual issues. Because if you take Psalm 82 seriously, mm -hmm. what God is angry about are the, the, the sons of God that he appointed over the nations who have now become adversarial. You know, we're not told when, we're just told that they, that just goes down the tubes. You know, they sow chaos in the nations. They enslave their populations. They want destruction and chaos and misery. They want what we see on the news every day. Yeah. Okay, that's what they want. And, and God is angry, you know, with them. And so he, he linked, I mean, look at all these ideas that are linked. You know, the psalm ends with the psalmist pleading, you know, Lord, you know, God, rise up and take back the nations. Again, we, you know, on our podcast, Naked Bible Podcast, we spent a whole, we've actually spent two episodes on on how the rise up language in the Septuagint, you know, is, it, it's it's the verb for resurrection, honest me. Mm. Okay, that's, again, it, these things aren't coincidental, you know, and, and there, that's not the only passage like that where, you know, we have this rise up language, you know, and, 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 you know, the Lord, you know, taking back the nations or being the, the Messiah to the nations or being Lord of the nations or the God of, the, of all the nations. These, these are not, you know, coincidences that we would link, you know, Jesus to the, you know, you know, to the solution of Psalm 82. I mean, first, you know, at the, at the, the first phase of the kingdom, their authority is nullified. 
Um, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I, I was on a, a pagan podcast a couple of years ago, you know, and this, this guy had read my little book, Supernatural, and loved it. He said, I worship the gods of Greece and Rome, and I read Supernatural, and it's like, you're, the, you're a person I can have a conversation with, you know, because of, you know, I, of the way I worship these gods. And so I went on this guy's show, and for the first, like, the audio is terrible. It, it's called the, the Voice of Olympus. The, the host, he goes by the name Hercules, okay? So, so there's Mike on the Voice of Olympus. The audio is terrible, but it's really Chill. worth listening to. Yeah, there you go. Gandalf and <laughs> because, Hercules having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. The first 10 minutes is this guy going through like Greco-Roman mythology, articulating the Deuteronomy 32 worldview about how the, the, you know, the gods appointed, you know, the nations to these, these lesser gods and this God gets this bunch. And, you know, this is why we worship this God and not another, because the gods allotted this, you know, all this language, (laughs) you know, and, and, and so he he goes through all that. And I mean, I can see now why he loved the book because he says, he says, this was amazing. You know, the, the Bible actually has this same worldview and he goes, I have one question. If, if the God of Israel, the most high, set this whole thing up in Deuteronomy 32, 8, what does he want? It's like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> it's like what he, what he wants is he wants you now, because of Jesus, to recognize that the authority he, he gave them and that they corrupted and they became evil and wicked and enslaved their populations and turn their hearts to idolatry, to the worship of themselves, rather than being placeholders for the Most High to bring back the nations. Because Babel was a punishment. Yeah. It wasn't going to last forever. God makes a covenant with Abraham to bring back the nations. But mm-hmm. since, since you didn't do any of that, you know, you're, you're under judgment. And so God withdraws their authority. That's why Paul connects the resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of God six or seven times with the defeat, you know, the, 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 the nullification, the delegitimization of the principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. Paul isn't just looking for random things to connect because he wants to get an A on his paper. I have to vary my vocabulary here. I got (laughs) to, you know, I don't know what else to say, you know? No, he, he, he's intentional. The biblical writers are always intentional. Okay. in what they do, and he's saying, look, their authority is null. So Paul could go into a city and say, look, look, fellas, I, I know we all share the same worldview. And you're worshiping these gods because you believe you have to. And if you're acquainted with Judaism, you think that that, that I, I became a man and died on a cross and rose from the dead and now is giving you not only the authority to turn from your gods and come back home, but he insists on it. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a clear, you know, kind of punch in the gut, you know, message that 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 Paul has. But it all extends from this worldview. And, and if we started, you know, Gans, I mean, to your point, if we started thinking about the situation in our world, that the actual remedy is not, oh, let's vote this guy into office, or let's form this committee, or let's have our church, you know, throw money at this, or our government throw money at that. The solution is actually one by one, you know, robbing the principalities and powers and the rulers and authorities of their citizens, bringing them back into the family, and then they can be salt and light in all the places where they're at and repeat the process. Yeah. Okay, that is what actually would be the solution. Yeah. More, more hearts turned you know, to the true God and getting a, a sense of their own identity and the identity of the people they used to hate. They share the same identity. 
and they share the same mission, and God wants them in the same family. Okay, that is what matters. And, and so, if you know, back to the, our first question, you know, really to to kick off this episode is, you know, why does any of this angelology stuff matter? Well, that's why. It it helps you frame who you are and what you're supposed to do. And and family concepts are important. You know, mission concepts are important. Uh, you know how the how that the unseen world connects with this world. All that's important. And and God has a a he's working a plan. Yeah. <laughs> he's working a plan, and the plan is to get back to the original intention. He will get his way. He will get his way. Again, so practical, so powerful. Uh, truly, life advice to to live by, not just to ponder or theorize um but really uh, a powerful statement on what's important in life yeah Uh, and mike was always so good at at that as we continue to repeat here yeah you know it was this examination of the connection between the supernatural and the natural that brought so many Christians, you know, even just the Sunday morning Christians, not the weird fringy ones, just Sunday morning Christians it, in the ways of connecting the supernatural with the natural that he talks about. Uh, Mike really was the bridge for a lot of people from going from your sort of everyday, maybe cultural Sunday morning Christian to a true connection with the idea that there is an unseen realm, it operates in a way, it is connected to our lives, it is as much a part of our lives as the physical world. And it opened up so many people's perspectives as to really what's going on here. And I mean, that is a legacy that not a whole lot of people can boast. Yeah. Oh, you know, we're here to boast it about Dr. Michael Heiser's work. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had this, uh, I, f- I feel like his work is not just foundational theologically. And that, of course it's important, but it, it sort of bridges into basic pastoral care. Like yeah. if you have these concepts down, it really helps facilitate the conversation about your identity and, and your personal life and everything else in the context of, the scriptures and i i don't know that he even i'm sure he knew but i don't know that he would have known the impact in that in that way that his work would have you know when he first started um the other thing is similarly to speak to believers he was able to address pagans for example he mentioned the interview with a pagan podcast where he lays out his whole uh theology and mike is able to speak to it because he's saying oh yeah, actually, the Bible says that, too, and here's where it differs with Yahweh and everything else. That's rare when you have the ability to speak to not just believers and, and fill the gaps for them, but also to explain to someone who's a pagan, like, hey, your theology makes sense here, but here's where things differ when it comes to the true biblical view. Not a bunch of people are articulate enough to be able to do that. So a very, yeah. very uh, valuable in, in many different ways. And very equipping. I mean, we talked about this on Canary Cry News Talk on this last episode. uh, But, you know, that concept where you can have a 
comprehensive conversation about the spiritual realm that isn't immediate, you know, that is more than just, you know, the Bible said it. So that's why you should believe it, pagan, uh, because that doesn't work very well in talking to non-believers. But to have an understanding of of sort of a cohesive, um, uh, uh, fleshed out uh, conversation about the spiritual realm and what's going on there is a tool that every Christian should have. Um, And I think now every Christian can have access to uh, specifically because of uh, Dr. Mike's work, but also because of his life. I mean, again, yeah. the guy's life itself was a lesson in how to live well. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've been incredibly blessed over the years uh, to be able to have had the relationship uh, with him as we did. And of course, we were both saddened and sort of uplifted, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, even though he's not here with us anymore, uh, he is in the unseen realm experiencing uh the in a new way the things that he spent so much of his life theorizing about and and theologizing about and and teaching about uh it's just very special to think about yep 100 percent. he will be missed the show notes for this episode will include all the links to every episode that we have here including the tjt and in addition uh there will be links to the face like the sun videos of course the channel is gone but odyssey did archive a lot of it and uh, so all the links will be in the show notes yeah and i'd encourage uh, everyone you know mike of course for us we're kind of the weird fringy online folks but he was really uh, a doorway for a lot of everyday believers and um Take a second, maybe consider somebody in your life who uh, benefited from Mike's work and maybe they'd like to know a little bit more about the guy. Send this episode to them. It's really our hope that um, this episode can serve as uh, an opportunity to not just reflect on his work um, but and what it meant to us personally, but also what it means to the whole Christian community. And of course, we want to extend our heartfelt gratitude to um, the Heiser family uh, for sharing him with us. Uh, I know, uh, I know that the, he, his family was so important to him that he would talk about his family and how they were helping him uh, with his work, and we uh, often would sort of exchange emails with. Uh, one member of his family or the other who was helping him schedule or <laughs> something like that. So thank you so much for uh, sharing him with us, Heiser yeah. family. Um, and we'll put some links in the show notes uh, that will have ways of showing your gratitude or, or sending uh, support in different ways uh, that have been uh, provided uh, by his friends and family. And we highly recommend that uh, everybody check them out and support the Heiser family in, in any way that they want or need. But of course, uh, with prayer as well for comfort and strength. And uh, we just want them to know that we're so grateful, not just to Mike, but for Mike, everything and everyone in Mike's life that made him possible, that made him who he is. And, uh, yeah, we're just so grateful uh, for 
for you sharing him with us. And to all of Dr. Michael Heiser's fans out there, to the listeners of the Naked Bible podcast or his the readers of his books, if you found this episode, thank you for sharing this tribute with us, for, for participating in such a special guy's legacy. And he really was the Gandalf of Christian Middle Earth, wandering the countryside, uh, sort of helping the citizens like us of uh, of this strange fantasy world we live in uh, <laughs> understand that there's bigger things going on and we all have a role to play in it. So to the rest of the citizens of Christian Middle Earth. So the incarnation allows Jesus to be the fulfiller of all these covenants, but in terms of salvation history, they're only part of the picture. I mean, he is the one who not only has to come to fulfill the covenants, which, you know, of course, are tied into the whole story of salvation, but, you know, to sort of fix the death problem, <laughs> you know, Genesis 3, the whole Garden of Eden problem, he has to, you know, come as a man and, like he says in the Gospels, to give his life a ransom for many. Because it's the only way to cancel out that debt. So, you know, the incarnation is essential for all of these things. Covenant fulfillment and also, frankly, the ability, you know, to, to give his life as a ransom for uh, humanity. Again, to take care of the problem that uh, arose from Eden. Again, and, and it's, it's, it's human and divine rebellion. This is, the, this is the consistent story. It's not just human rebellion that is the problem. But the Messiah also has to address the impact, the effects of divine rebellion, too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. You can check out everything that we're doing at the URL, canarycry.party. It is a real URL, trust me. Canarycry.party, you can find everything that we're doing. Canary Cry News Talk, join the community, support the show. Uh, we are going to continue Canary Cry Radio on the value for value model. So there will be opportunities to produce more episodes. Keep an eye out for that. And we hope that some of you uh, Canary Cry Radio listeners go check out Canary Cry News Talk. It's a great way to get not only current events put in a biblical perspective, but have the mainstream corporate news media put under a microscope, analysis, deconstruction, and scrutiny uh, of what's going on in the world and how it's being communicated. And of course, all with uh, that Canary Cry flavor that we all love so much. That's canarycry.party. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to canarycry.support. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage. <laughs>